and amen. Well, what a powerful song, and what a, what a powerful discipline when you begin to think about it, that as you stop and you begin to focus on, on, on the great love of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is so very easy for us when we're going through tough times in folks' life, we live in a fallen world, that we're going to have tough times. I mean, that is just, that's just what happens when you live in a world that's been cursed with sin, that we're going to do some things stupid, other people are going to do things stupid to us, that, that we just do, we, we, we have hard times. Things will come up in our life that we did not expect. That was not God's plan, but that's because of the fall of man. And it's so very easy if we do not catch ourselves or discipline ourselves, it's just the focus on all the stuff out there. But the way that we can overcome that is to set our minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Set our mind on who God is, what God has done for us. And I'm telling you, it will change your entire perspective. Our joy cannot come from this world. This world cannot bring us joy. Another person cannot bring us joy. That's only through Christ can we find the joy of our salvation. And I ask you, I encourage you to focus your eyes Upon him, I know as we walk into this 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 building, and, and so many of us that are here today, that some of you are going through some tremendously tough times, and I don't want to diminish that in one bit, because when you are facing a problem and it's a giant in your life, it's a giant. But I'm, I'm encouraging you to keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about that that song that we earlier had sung with with Horatio Spafford, I believe. Folks, I've not walked through the what that man walked through. I've not lost a child. He's lost five. His world fell apart. But because he chose to set his eyes on Christ, he could say, it is well with my soul. And I pray that each of us can, can grab hold of that and hang on. Does it, does it mean that you, all your pain will go away? No. Does it mean that, that boy, everything is just going to turn out bright and shiny that day? No. But it does mean that you have an anchor to your soul that you can hold on to. And, and, and one day you can have the hope that Christ is going to make all things right. And that's what we're going to be studying about today. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, we're going to be looking at verse 13 through 18. Um, normally in the past when I've preached this particular uh, passage of, of Scripture, I actually... I'm taught it in a set with starting in chapter 5 and moving on down because it, there's a unit there. But I don't know, I, I, felt, I felt led just to stop this at verse 18 and we'll go over into chapter 5 um, next week. Over the last several weeks we have been studying um, just a passage where Paul was writing kind of a, a life application to the thir- church of Thessalonica. Because all but what God has done for you, and, and let me just read to you what he, what he says, and if you, if you found First Thessalonians, if you, if you found that, let me know, amen. If you turn down a chapter to four, and, and listen to what he says in verse one. He says, furthermore, when we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, and so you would abound more and more. And, and I think that should be the, the desire, the hope, of the, and the focus of every one of us. Because the great God whom we serve that gave so much for you and me, folks, our very, basis, our, our very salvation is based upon what God has done for you. Not for what you've done for God, but for what God has done for you. Your very eternity is based upon what the God of heaven has done for you. 
Matter of fact, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. If you've had any good thing occur within your life, it's because there's a God in heaven who loves you and has blessed you with his grace. And with that idea in mind, if God has been so very good to us, if God only desires that which is good in our lives, should we not desire to bring him pleasure? Should we not desire to live in a way that will lift his name up and and to bring a, a smile to his face? You know, with the people whom I truly love, which I truly have deep relationship, there's no greater joy for me is to do something that I know that will bring them pleasure that I know that will touch their heart. And, and there's nothing like, you know, when you do something that, 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 that someone desires, that it just overwhelms them with thankfulness. I saw a cool, um, just, a, just a cool story on, on Facebook this, this week where, um, I don't even know where it came from, but where a, a young boy that, well, he was a young boy at the time, his daddy had always wanted a 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air, but apparently he was just a working class man. That had always been his dream. And in his, in, his, in his teenage years, his boys said, I want to buy you one one day. And, and they showed the video where they, they had the, the dad, they, they, were, they were playing um, cornhole, and, and his, the dad's back was up to the garage. And while they were playing cornhole, they raised the, they raised the garage door. And there was a 57 restored Bel Air there. And they asked the dad to turn around. And he wept, and he wept, and he wept, and he wept. Can you imagine the joy on that young man's face? Because he said, Daddy, I kept my promise. Of being able to see, give him something that his dad wanted so much, that it brought so much joy to his dad. Folks, I, I tell you, whatever that beller cost that boy, it didn't cost him as much as the joy he got by bringing pleasure to his dad. And we can live our lives in a way that will bring pleasure to our heavenly dad, our heavenly father. What greater joy is that? And that's what Paul is saying. Think about what God has done for you. you know, shouldn't we ought to walk to bring pleasure to him, that, that, that should be, that is part of our joy of our salvation is being able to, to turn back and, 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 and bring a smile on our Father's place, face. A couple of weeks ago, we studied, how do you do that? He says that we need to walk in sanctification, that we need to walk in a way that we live in a sanctified life, that, that we walk in holiness, that, that, that we lay aside the filth of this world. Canon, Canon taught a wonderful message out of Hebrews that, that as we're looking toward that, we're running this race of life where, where we're, we're looking forward to that reward, we need to lay aside those sins and those things that will easily beset us. And that's what brings joy to our Lord when he sees us lay aside the world so we may get more of him. And that's tough to do in a, in a world that just surrounds us with 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 with, with showing us or tempting us with, to bring pleasure to ourselves. And then he, he said, you know, we need to walk in brotherly love. We need to walk in the way that we truly love one another. And, and sometimes how we do that is, as he, he, he really spoke about how we do that, is, is we get out there and, um, you know, we, we, 
we just live a quiet life. We don't have to be in the limelight. We mind our own business. And we work with our own hands so that we're not a burden to somebody else. And boy, that has to bring a, a pleasure to God when he sees his people being, being, being peaceful and, and industrious in the world around him. Because people look at that and say, wow. Today we're going to look at another subject matter. And again, I, tried, I wanted to reduce this because today something that brings pleasure to our Lord is that we walk in hope. We walk in hope. And I pray today that someone, that this would just touch you and minister to you right where you are. Because there may be someone today, when you walked in that door, because of your circumstances, you thought they were hopeless. I tell you, God wants you to walk in hope today. And let's take that and let's look at this passage. Let's all stand together as we read 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. I'll start in verse 13. And the Apostle Paul writes these words, but I, I, would, not have, I would not have you to be ignorant or, or to be uninformed, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede or prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God shall, and, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We just heard that in a song that, boy, you know, oh, you know, for that, that day when, when, when Christ comes again. In verse 17, then when then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Father God, we, we just pray now that you'd take these words, that you'll apply them to our hearts. And, and God, again, I just pray that, Lord, that you would apply them in, in a way that, that, Lord, that our eyes would be focused on Jesus Christ, not on, not on the, the trials, the burdens, the, the, the battles that we're fighting because, God, they will surely overwhelm us apart from Christ. But, God, you know the work that needs to be done in this place today. I pray that, God, that hearts will be lifted up. I pray, that God, that hearts will be saved today. I pray that, God, that most of all, that Christ will be honored and, um, and his name will be lifted. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Every time I read this particular passage that... There, there's two words that just absolutely jump out at me, and I, I can't read it without those two words just grabbing me. And those two words are found at the very end of uh, chapter ver, verse 13, when he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I do not believe there's any sadder words that have ever been spoken of man or could be spoken of an individual than no hope. As a matter of fact, when you think of no hope, you think of hopelessness, and, and that has to be the most painful and dangerous state of human being. That when you're living your life and you get to a point where it's nothing but, but cloudy and darkness and you see no way wear out, no way out, and you think that you are caught in a state of hopelessness. 
when I think of that, when I think of the word of no hope or the word snow hope or hopelessness, I think of the words of misery, desolation, anguish, depression, despondence, dejection. And wow, are those melancholy words, are those sad words. But if you've ever found yourself in the being of hopelessness, you understand exactly what I'm speaking about. If you've never been there, then you need to drop on your knees and say, thank you, Jesus. But if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm saying. You know, because when you get to that point of, of hopelessness, you begin to ask yourself these questions. What's the use? What's the use? I've spoken to people that said, you know, the, the biggest accomplishment that I've had today is I got out of bed. Because I didn't want to get out of bed today. You ask the questions, you know, is there really any reason to live or to go on? And so, as Paul was speaking to this group of people, they were in tough times. As a matter of fact, they were under heavy persecution because they claimed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> but yet the world was just, just seemed to be attacking them because of their faith. Some of them had already died even though they had become believers because maybe, maybe when they accepted Christ, they, 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 they accepted Christ with the idea that, that once I get saved, then all my problems are going to go away. Folks, it doesn't happen that way. We still live in a hurting and a dying world. And, and God doesn't remove us from the place, but he, he, he changes what's in our life. He gives us new destiny. Paul had taught them about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in the great day of the Lord when, when God will come back to judge the living and the dead. And, and obviously, if you read over in 2 Thessalonians, there had been some deceptive teaching that had come in behind Paul that, that were telling them that, well, that, that Jesus has already come again, that the day of the Lord has already occurred, and all those who have, have, have died in Christ have, have no hope. They're, they're dead. They, they missed the boat. And so not only were they dealing with the death of lost ones, but they were, you know, they were thinking about, well, well, if they've missed it, then what, what is this good for? There's some of you today that maybe because of your faith in Jesus Christ and you've, you've trusted Christ in your Lord as your Lord and Savior, and, and, and boy, and those billows have just come and rolled upon your life. You wonder, if, is this really what it's supposed to be? Because it almost seems like once I receive Christ as my Lord that, that, that I'm, I'm dealing with more issues, I'm dealing with more problems, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with more battles than, than when I didn't walk with Christ. And you think, is there really any use? And that's what Paul was speaking to them about. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep in Christ, And then for those 
who have no hope. And I want us to look today at this very subject matter of the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. Because God desires within each of our lives as believers that we walk in the joy of the hope of Jesus Christ. That is one of the things that would please him most in your life, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what's going on in your life, that you can walk in the joy of his blessed hope. And that's what I want us to look at, and that's what Paul was writing. And and, and how important is that? One of the greatest and comforting doctrines in all all of Scripture is this doctrine of hope. And that's what God wants us to grab hold of. Paul called it, as he wrote to Titus, he called it the blessed hope. He said in Titus 2.13, he said, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This hope that is is blessed, it's a a gift of God. It's a a grace of God that he has bestowed upon those who are his. And, And Paul says, that's what I keep my eyes focused upon is that blessed hope of the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter describes it in this way as he wrote... uh, his letter to uh, another group of suffering Christians. He said these words in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 1. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says this is, uh, Paul said it's a blessed hope. Peter says it's a living hope. It's that thing which keeps me alive every single day. It's a thing that regardless of what the world may bring to me and lay at my lap, that there's a living hope that I can take that and each day I can live by the hope that is within me because Jesus is coming again. And folks, I pray that today that you'd be introduced to that blessed hope the Apostle Paul speaks about and and that you'd begin to live your life in that living hope that that Peter talks about. Life is tough. But folks, God has something so much better for you and for me. People have written about that throughout the years. And, 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 and a couple of quotes I picked up upon where Orson Martin said, There's no medicine like hope, no incentive so great, no tonic so powerful as expectation of something better tomorrow. There's nothing that can soothe our soul more than that blessed hope in Jesus Christ. Thomas Brooks wrote, A Christian will part with anything rather than his hope. He knows that the hope will keep him, keep his heart both from aching and breaking, from fainting and sinking. He knows that hope is, is a beam of God, a spark of glory, and nothing shall extinguish it until the soul be filled with glory. When you begin to think about that and what these men said and what Paul is referring to as the blessed hope and Peter is speaking of as the living hope, you begin to understand that what hope will do for you and for me as, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, it, you know, it, it will be that glimmer of light in, in the darkest hours. You know, it, it, when, when you fall into that point of hopelessness and when darkness surrounds you, it doesn't take much light to break that darkness. And folks, it's hope 
that will be that light. It's hope that can bring us joy even in our deepest despair. It's joy, I mean, it's hope that can bring comforts in our pains of misery. It's, it's hope that can bring life back into our life of, of life that seems like it's been death. But what is this hope that Paul was speaking about? What is this biblical hope that Peter speaks about? It's, it's not something that's a happenstance, or maybe it will, or maybe it will. Not the, the word hope in Scripture... Is, 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 is a word that means expectation or confidence. It's just an expectation of, of, of good. It's, it's, it's for, a, for, a, for a Christian, there's a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. So, so to break all that down for you, let me give you the idea of what hope is for a believer. For a Christian, hope is that certain expectation that there's a better day coming. Let me just say that again. For a believer in Jesus Christ, hope is that certain expectation. It's not a maybe, but it's a certain expectation there's a better day coming. And that is the thing that will strengthen us and bring an anchor to within our soul. Regardless of our circumstances, no matter how dark the night, no matter how tough the situation, no matter how fiery the persecution, I can be assured because of the hope of Jesus Christ, that blessed hope, that living hope that, that, that Peter speaks of, is that there's a better day coming for me. And I just want to shout out to each of you today, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what troubles that, that, that seem to dog you as you walked into this place, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can hold on to the fact there's a better day coming for you. God's, God has not, is not going to leave you within that place. Folks, that is the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And the basis of that hope, he did not just stop there. He began to give the basis of that hope. How can I know this thing is for sure? How can I know without a shadow of a doubt that, that there's going to be a better day coming for me? Yes, this may be just pop psychological talk that maybe make me feel good for a moment, but, but, but it's all just poppycock. Paul says, no, there's a basis, there's a foundation, there's a root for which I'm telling you. And he said, he goes on and he says, this is, this is how you can know it's for sure. This is the basis of that. And it's the return of the resurrected Christ. Listen to what he says. In verse 14, he continues on with that passage. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus Christ would will God bring with them. Folks, the very hope that we have, the very assurance, the expectation that we have is because that Jesus lives and Jesus is coming again. So many times we have just, over the last month, we, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Many people might think, well, that's not such a big deal. Well, let me tell you, it is a big deal. The doctrine of the resurrected Christ makes all the difference within the Christian life. It makes all the difference within our faith. The significance of, of, of the, the return of the resurrected Christ, and the reason we say the resurrected Christ is this, 
Because if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, then there is no hope. And you have to understand that. That we not only serve Jesus Christ, not only do we have a Savior, but folks, we have a risen Savior. One that has overcome the pains and the persecution and the battles of this world. And through his power, he overcame it. And through his power, we can overcome that which grips us. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people, even in the days of Paul, that were saying, uh, there's really no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. I mean, th- these people were in the church. These were false teachers that had slipped in the church. Or, no, it really doesn't matter that much. And maybe there's some of you that have just allowed yourself to, you know, you're, you, we're, we're so intellectual that we miss the obvious. But folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. Not in our salvation, but in our daily walk with him. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, as as he was, um, or 15th chapter, as he was dealing with these arguments out there. In verses 12 through 19, he says these words, and again, this is 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He says, For as the body is. Oops. This is chapter 12. In, in verse 15, or chapter 15, he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, and how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised up not. If so, uh, if so then the dead... Rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is, Christ, is not Christ raised? He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain, and yet you are in your sins. But then following, he says, then also, also which are falling asleep in Christ have perished. All those who have died that are in Christ, they're gone. And that's what he's talking to the church of Thessalonica. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ. He said, they're not gone because Christ has risen from the dead. But then he says these words in in, in verse 19. "If, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And what he's saying, if our our hope in Christ is only based on, on just believing some philosophical teaching of a man, you're a pretty miserable guy. Because the truth is, we're all going to die sometime. You know, there's some people that, you know, they, they may have placed all of their hope in Buddha or in Muhammad. Or, you know, in, in, in teachers of Nietzsche or, or whoever they may be. And, and boy, they, you know, they, that's where they based their hope. But they were basing their hope in a dead man. In a man who's still in the grave. And, and he's saying, if Christ is still dead, he's no different than Muhammad. He's no different than Buddha. He's no different than John Smith. And, and if that's all you have, then your life is most miserable because you don't know what's going to happen after death. And what he's saying is that our faith is much more than just this life. And I praise God. Because if this is the best that we're going to get, how miserable are we? Because, folks, we live in a pretty miserable place. Who hasn't experienced heartache in the last year? 
who hasn't had trouble that you've dealt with, and if this is the best you're going to get out of it, folks, how sad is that? And so if, if, if this is the best we're going to be, then a person that falls into a hopelessness, then, then they think, well, what's the use of living? Because if this is all there is, then I, I don't want any more of this stuff. But Paul says, because of the resurrected Christ, this is not all there is. There's something much better for us. And it continues on as, as he, he, he teaches in, 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 in that, that passage that, that um, there, is, there is hope. And the, and, and the way that we find that hope, that that living Christ is coming again. One of the most encouraging passages that I find in Scripture, and gosh, I, there's not many times I don't use this somewhere within a funeral passage of a believer. Where Jesus Christ spoke on the night before he was crucified, knowing what he was about to face. He was not so concerned about himself, he is now concerned about his believers And he said these words that John records in John, the 14th chapter. He says, let not your heart be troubled. um, Let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, then believe also in me. For my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. How much joy is that? That Christ, although he died, he arose again. He's he's in the heavenly place preparing a place for us. And he's promised if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you into myself. And what he's saying is our hope is not based in today. Our hope is based into tomorrow. And no matter how bad your world is today, no matter how how unfair the world has treated you today. Jesus says, I'm coming again one day, and I'm going to receive you into myself. Folks, is that good news or not? And I think it's very, very interesting that within this passage, he says, for those who have fallen asleep in Christ. That's a terminology that he used a whole lot within speaking of believers, that, that, you know, because being asleep is kind of a temporary state. I got to bed about 11 o'clock last night, and boy, I, you know, there was a temporary state that um, I, I, so I'm kind of loud when I sleep, and I'm kind of, you know, but, 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 but still I'm, I'm asleep for that temporary time. And, but, it's, you know, but before 7 o'clock, I just woke up. It was, my, my sleep was over. And he's not talking about some type of soul sleep here that, that really our, our, our soul just does not go anywhere. That's another message. But he's using that idea of death that for a believer that death is only temporary. Because there's going to come a day when Jesus comes and calls out and all those who are dead in Christ will come alive. Now, man, I don't know about you, but that fires me up. And that's why he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who are asleep as others who do not believe in Christ that have no hope. Because I want to assure you that there's a better day coming because of the resurrected Christ. There's coming that day when Jesus Christ comes again. And why does he come? First, he comes to claim his own, to claim those who are his. Look what he says in verse 16 and 17 of that, that, those verses that we've, we've been studying. 
Well, in verse 14, he says, For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, that by the word of the Lord, and this is not Paul speaking, this is what God himself has said, that by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then when... Then we which were alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be ever with the Lord. Folks, that is good news. That is exciting news that, that, that because Christ has risen from the dead, that he has overcame, the, he has, has victory over death. And one day when he comes back, all of those that are his, he's going to gather together. He gives an order here, which is so interesting. He says, for those who have already died, for those who have died that, that are now in the graves, that they'll be the first. That when he comes with the, with the voice and the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of the Lord, he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Why don't you just stop and chew on that a little bit? Those graves are going to bust open. You know, for those, you know, you, you hear people say, well, what about those people that have, you know, that, 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 that their, their, their bodies have been scattered or maybe they've been burned. And we've, you know, folks, if God created the world and he can make man out of dust, he can put us back together again. He can, he can draw us in the moment in the, in, in, in the twinkling of eye and bring us back together again. He said the dead in Christ, and I think this is a literal resurrection, folks. Because the Bible says that, that, that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus Christ um, rose literally from the grave. That was not an illusion. That was not a ghost that came out of that grave. Jesus Christ physically stepped out of the grave. The Bible uh, deals with that because he sat, he talked with his disciples. They felt the scars on his hand. He sat down and broke bread with them. He ate with them. And that's going to be good because in our resurrected body, we're going to eat. And I can eat all that carrot cake and all that cake and, you know, and then that, 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 that resurrected body, it's going to be okay for me. But because Jesus rose literally from the grave, that if he's the first fruits of the resurrection, then those that are his are going to rise literally from the grave. Wow. How good is that? But when he comes again, dear friends... Those who are dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are still alive at his coming will join them in the air. And some call that where we'll be gathered up, and some call that the rapture. You can call it whatever you want to, but one day there's going to be a big reunion in the air. That every believer in, in Christ that has died up to the return of Christ their, their graves going to, or their, or their ashes from the ocean or wherever they may have been scattered, they're all going to gather up in the air. And the folks, this is going to happen so quick that, that, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to happen so quick, but it says, they shall rise first and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the air that they can live forevermore with him. Hmm. Man, is that exciting. Tell you what, that takes the pain out of our sister CJ's life. Lost her son yesterday. 
And that's where the hope comes in. See, there's a better day coming. See, Christ, when he created us, he did not create us for all the pain and suffering that we face within this world. That's a result of sin. And every heartache and and every problem that you have is, is somewhere related to sin. And yeah, I think it might have been you that spoke on it the other night of cancer, that even though you can't, a person that has cancer today, you can't say it's because, because of their sin they have that cancer. But, but cancer came into this world as a result of the sin of mankind. Any illness came into this world was, was an illness that leads to death because it's the wages of sin is death. That has come to the world. And folks, Christ is coming again for those that are his to, to, to capture us out of this world, to rapture us out of this world, that we don't have to live in this world of death anymore. He's coming again, first of all, to receive the world unto himself. And so we can mean that to his own and to himself. He's also coming again. He's also coming again to judge the nations. Now, now there's hope in this. And let me explain why there's hope in this. He does not deal with this in this passage, but, but what he says in, in, in what Jesus Christ himself spoke in Matthew 25, 31 through 33, he says, For the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and the holy angels with him. Then he shall, be, he shall sit on the throne on the glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. And then he shall say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You think, well, why is there hope? See, when Jesus comes again, he's going to receive his people to himself. But also he's going to judge all evil. And so all evil that has, that has, that has been done to me because of my faith in Jesus Christ, God's going to judge that. The Bible says, Jesus tells us, or God tells us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, I can, I can have someone hurt me, and I can live in bitterness and anger, and, 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 and because I've tried to judge that other person, and in my mind, I try to take out vengeance on that person. Folks, I have to pray about that. I, there's something that, you know, when I get hurt, I, my old mind wants to start thinking some crazy things. And that, you know who that destroys? That destroys me. You know, anger destroys me. It doesn't hurt that other person. They don't give a rip. Or when I try to take out judgment on the other person, that, that only destroys me. If I, if I live my life in anger and unforgiveness and bitterness. But see, my hope is this, that one day my Lord's going to come back and he's going to make all things right. He's going to judge the living and the dead. And so what I can do is my hope is that, Lord, one day you're going to come back and you're going to judge the nations. You're going to judge me. You're going to judge all those people that, that maybe have brought hurt in my life. Because you are a just God. And that's my hope that one day you're going you're to come because you're a just God and you're going to make all things right. Folks, God's going to judge me. He's going to judge that person that's hurt me. So I don't, have to, I don't have to live my life in unforgiveness and anger and bitterness. He's also going to come not only to receive his people into himself and also to judge the nations, but he's also going to come to make all things new. 
I love the passage in Revelation and in, in, in Revelation 21 when he begins to talk about heaven. Listen to what he says in Revelation 21, 15. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. You know what he's saying? He's, when Jesus comes away, he's not only going to clean this world up, he's going to destroy this world and start with something brand new. And he says, And there was no more sea, and I saw John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Won't that be good? That we're going to live a way where, where God himself, where all the things that have broken our heart in times past, God himself is going to wipe away the tears from our eyes. Be no use for tears up here. And he says, Well, God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrows nor crying, neither there shall be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And the folks, there's hope in that. There's a better day coming for those who are in Christ. That one day he's going to give me a new body and he's going to put me in a new home. My faith will be turned aside and he's going to put me in a place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow. There'll be no funeral homes in heaven. There'll be no doctors, no nurses. A lot of you are going to be out of jobs. There'll be no counselors in heaven. He's going to make all things new. You see, the whole story of redemption is this. When God created the world, he created a perfect environment. He put man in that environment to live forever, that he could have fellowship with man forever. A place where there's no pain, no sorrow. He'll provide for every need. But sin interrupted God's plan. But folks, God's going to finish what he started. And Jesus is coming again to finish that which he started. And so he's going to put us back into that new garden that he creates with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. So I can be assured as a believer that even though I struggle with in this world, that because Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death, he's coming again just like he promised. And then he's going, I'm going to rise from the dead. And for me, there's going to be a better day coming for me. And folks, that's what our hope is. I think so much about our brothers and sisters in the places in third world countries such as Honduras. Or I think about the persecuted brothers and sisters that are in the Middle East that, that, that are fighting what they're fighting. Folks, they can't depend on the government. They can't depend on finances. They can't, because they, if, if you wanted to look at, especially the believers that are over in the Middle East right now that, that are hiding out in church houses in, in Iraq and Iran, if you want to say their, their, their life is hopeless, that's about as hopeless as you can get within this world. But folks, their life is not hopeless. 
Because they know there's a better day coming for them. Though the world may come and the world may cut off their head, that's going to make them join Christ eternally in the air forever. And that's what, that's what, they, that's what their faith is built upon. I think so many times when in America, because things are so easy for us, that we place our hope in things other than the resurrected Jesus Christ. We place our hope in our bank accounts. We place our hope in our personalities, in our education, in our leaders. But Jesus says our hope is to be placed in him, in him alone. And that's nothing would bring God greater pleasure if we live our lives walking in that blessed hope that one day there's a better day coming for us. Now, who's the one that possesses hope? Who's the one that holds on to this hope? It's those who are in Christ. He talks about those who sleep in Christ. Those who, in, in Paul, there was a big distinction with Paul. Paul uses this, this idea, this concept of being in Christ. It's a very visible thing. Like when I walk into this building, I'm either outside or I'm inside. There's, you know, I'm, not, there's not, I'm not halfway in or out. And in the idea of Paul, that I'm either in Christ or I'm in the world. Folks, you, you can't have it both ways. You're either in or you're out. And the only ones who have hope that, that, that God speaks of are those who are in Christ. Those of you that have chosen, I've stepping out of the world and I've stepping into the, in, into the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. That's the only ones that can, you know, that, that can claim that hope. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've not committed your... You can't sing about heaven. That's not your home. You can't sing it as well with my soul because, because you're not in Christ. This is only for God's children. It's only for those who have, have made their profession of, of the lordship of Jesus Christ and believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we need to make that very, very clear. That not everyone that walks within this earth, and not everyone that even sits in our church houses can really claim the blessed hope, the living hope that Paul is speaking about here. Because you're not in Christ. And I challenge you today as we close, where are you? Are you a possessor of this blessed hope? And the only way that you can know that for sure is that I know that I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm all in. There's a time in my life that I recognized I was a sinner, that I was lost and undone apart from Christ, that my sins have separated me from my God. But yet I recognized that it was Christ and Christ alone that can bring forgiveness of my sin. It's not how good I can be or what my family's done for me that I've made a decision I'm, I'm willing to lay aside my desires, and I take on the garments of Jesus Christ. You see, my faith is based on that Jesus died for my sins, he was buried, and he arose again on the third day. And that's where my trust lies, not only anything that I've done, but what he did. And apart from that, folks, there's salvation in no other. So today, as I come, I, I make an appeal to do two different groups of people. There's some of you today that, that you're in Christ, that you know Christ. You've made that life-changing decision where you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
The, cry, the, the world has been kicking you in the gut. It's like the world's been giving you some haymakers, and it's about got you on your knees. I just want to assure you today that there's a better day coming, that Jesus is coming again, and he's going to make all things right. And I, I, I want you today to just grab hold of that blessed hope, that living hope that Paul speaks of, that Peter speaks of. Get your eyes off of what your circumstances and get them on to the resurrected Christ who comes again. But for those of you that have never met Christ as your Lord, that you can't claim yourself that I'm in Christ, if there's a conviction going on in your life right now, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And maybe right now within your heart there's just a yearning. Well, if you have a yearning within your heart to do something about it, it's because the Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. And I encourage you to do something about it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I can't promise you that God will be dealing with you like that tomorrow. But man, why would I turn away from the blessed hope that God has for me? But you know what? You first have to come to Jesus. And what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment as we take this time of invitation, I want to invite you to Jesus Christ. I want you to invite you to a better way. His name is Jesus Christ. He's better than anything this world has to offer. And regardless of what this world may do to you, he can, he'll promise you, I've got a better day awaiting you. I'm asking you to come to Jesus Christ today. So in just a moment, I want to pray. Our musicians are going to come. I pray that, hey, this is an important time in, in, in our service. Just hang with us. And I just pray that you let God do what he wants to do. There's a, there's a blessed hope awaiting those who are his. Would you just stop and praise him and thank him? And if you're, not, if you're here today and you're not in Christ, I'm asking to come to Jesus. We'll have someone to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Father God, we love you, Lord, and we just pray.